Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Press for Wine Prince Lyrics podcast. I'm your host, Jason Brenninger. In this episode, we'll be talking about Party Up, the last track on Prince's Dirty Mind album. To talk with me about Party Up, I've invited author and blogger Laura Tebert to join me. Laura is also going through a unique journey that she is documenting on her blog at lauratebert.com. She calls it uh, Crazy Amazing, the Year of Living Like Prince. So I am uh, honored to have Laura join me today to talk about Party Up. Hello, everyone. I'd like to welcome Laura Tebert to the Prince Lyrics Podcast, Press Rewind. Hi, Laura. Hey, Jason. Great to be here. Thanks. I appreciate you joining me today. Uh, We're going to be talking about Party Up, which is the eighth track, the final track on Dirty Mind, Prince's third album. And uh, this is kind of a funky protest song with an interesting origin story. But before we get started, since you're new to our podcast and this first time that you've been my guest, I would appreciate it if you could give the listeners a little backstory about who you are and what you're up to and where many people can find you. Yeah, sure. Um, I am a writer and an author. Uh, I am the co-author, along with Alex Hahn, of um, a 2017 biography of Prince called The Rise of Prince, 1958 to 1988. Uh, And in addition to that, I maintain a blog at lauratebert.com in which uh, for this year, 2019, I am living like Prince for an entire year. And uh, I am test driving uh, 12 things that I saw Prince do in my research, um, you know, as we research the rise of Prince. And I am uh, becoming a purple guinea pig by trying those 12 things out on myself to see if uh, I also could be more successful. And um, in the process, you know, hopefully benefit a lot of people uh, who might be inspired to up their game as well. Yeah, it's it's very inspiring. And I, I encourage anybody not only to check out the book, because the book is a wonderful resource for, you know, interviews and things of that nature leading up to Prince's big break and, you know, his backstory, his early childhood and, um, you know, people that he met and passed, you know, his life passed through a lot of individuals before he became a superstar. So getting that information in a written form and those interviews documented is invaluable. And I, and I appreciate the work that you did with that book. And it's, I encourage anybody to read that. And also the blog is super interesting. Um, I've also seen you on Prince's friend with your interview. And that was, you know, hearing you talk about it is almost just as inspiring as, you know, anything else, because you seem very passionate about it. And it just makes you think to yourself, well, you know what, I can do interesting things too. And I can, I can live a little bit outside of my comfort zone. It's okay. Like me doing this podcast is living a little bit out of my comfort zone. And that is okay. You know, forcing us to do things. I, I, yeah, it's, I encourage everybody to check it out. So thanks, Laura, for being on. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Living in your uncomfort zone. That's what, uh, <laughs> that's what this year is about for me. But yeah, yep. uh, I'd, I'd love it if people would check it out. And uh, you're you're lucky, Jason, because this month my theme is no, because Prince would just say no to things he didn't <laughs> want to do. I mean, no. Do you want to yes. be in the We Are the World song? 
no. no. So you're lucky you asked me before. To yes, I asked. I asked you to join me back in May when it wasn't yeah. the no month. So yep, <laughs> I got. That worked out I was well. fortunate there. My, time, my timing was. Yeah, my timing was right on. I'll wait until next month to ask you if you want to rejoin me. <laughs> That's right. Unless you have a real thick skin, then yeah, you know, feel you free. I dare to, you. You got to be able to understand and accept a, a no answer sometimes. That's right. All right. So as I mentioned in the intro, Party Up has a bit of an interesting origin story. And um, you researched this a bit for the book. And you have some, probably some insight that maybe uh, some of the listeners might not know about this song, if you wouldn't mind briefly sharing that with us. Sure. Well, I mean, the genesis for this song was a groove uh, by Morris Day, which uh, Prince heard as Morris was, you know, playing sort of in the studio um, here in Minneapolis and just kind of playing around with it. It was actually started as a drum and bass groove. You know, Morris Day was an incredible drummer. Um, who who really wasn't comfortable being a front man until Prince pushed him out front. But, Which is crazy uh, to understand that now because he is like the consummate front man now. But it's 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 interesting to to read that. When I read that in in the book, I was like, wow, you know, I just didn't. I always figured he had like this personality that just exuded confidence and just was like front man personified. But yeah, interesting. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it really is, um, you know, perfect lesson in sort of stepping up and getting on stage and, and being comfortable in the spotlight. So, you know, yeah. So Morris, um, Morris was uh, in Minneapolis in 1980. He I think he had gone to L.A. Um, for a little while, but he had returned and Prince had invited him, you know, to if you want to, you know, kind of come and, and join me in the studio once in a while. Um, so they were they were kind of playing around with this and Prince liked the groove. And so he offered Morris a choice. Uh, and, you know, it was clearly one of these uh, forks in the road uh, mm -hmm. for Morris where, you know, it was like, you do you want ten thousand dollars? I'll pay ten thousand dollars for this groove. Or um, do you want me to create an act around you? And, you know, we all know the choice Morris made, which resulted in the creation of the time. So, mm, yeah, um, yeah so it seems like Morris definitely made the right choice. I um, would have thought so. <laughs> not going for the immediate gratification, but having the longer view on things. And really, um, it happened quite quickly because the time uh, the time was formed in early 1981. So Prince stayed true to his word. And uh, yeah, and the time yeah. was born. Yeah, and the Times debut album was released that same year. So, but we also know that Prince was just a writing and recording machine <laughs> his yes. entire life, but especially in the early '80s. So the fact, like, okay, yeah, here's this band. Now we're going to release an album. We're going to create an album's worth of material, record it, and get it out this year. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's something that you know just doesn't really happen these days. But not only was Prince doing that at the time for other acts but he is also releasing an album a year of his own material he obviously could multitask and he had that uh, ability to just record 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 write 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 and the time uh, benefited from that by getting an album out right away so yeah it didn't languish in uh, development hell for multiple years like some proteges do unfortunately 
Yeah, I mean, I think being a Prince fan, you know, in real time back then was probably like trying to drink from a fire hose. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, you know, it really, the whole thing, everything was moving very quickly um, in 1980. I mean, you know, when when Dirty Mind was born, really, um, in, you know, in early 1980, Prince went out with Rick James and he opened for Rick James um, from February to May on tour and then he uh returned home and uh in in may and began recording dirty mind in a small modest cottage on lake minnetonka in uh what is now a very upscale community called orno um at the time i'm sure it was much more rural and and quiet but um, i i actually spoke to someone in uh in the community here whose parents lived couple houses down from the house where Prince recorded Dirty Mind. And uh, <laughs> I guess he was quite a sight in that rural community. <laughs> well, I'm sure he was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> different different uh, look now, but back then it would have been maybe a little jarring to see somebody yes. um, dressed like Prince and, you know, with the, I don't know what kind of an entourage he had back then, but um, nevertheless, he probably stuck out like a sore thumb, if I had exactly. to guess. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure some eyebrows were raised, but, you know, that was all, yeah. that was all good. I mean, Prince, Prince liked being in a peaceful environment, you know, yeah. and uh, to create, and that's what he got in Orno. Yes, yes. He was never one to really surround himself with a lot of the um, typical rock and roll tropes to get himself through a recording process. He preferred um, the solitude, for sure. Yes. All right. So the groove was Morris's. Prince um, got it from him uh, in exchange for starting a band, as we, as you already mentioned. But the lyrics, the lyrics are Prince's, if I understand correctly. Like the groove was Morris's, but the concept behind, like the lyrics and the song itself, uh, was developed by Prince. Is that your understanding as well, Laura? Yes. I mean, okay. that, that's the writing credit is all Prince. Yeah. So, and I, I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah. It's a, so, it's a Prince tune. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Nobody's taking credit for the lyrics. No. <laughs> um, the lyrics, so like I mentioned, this is kind of like a funky protest song. And the, the seems like the lyrics were written as a response to um, then President Carter's reinstatements not so much of the draft, but they to have all young men register with selective service. Yes, which I guess it, it, what it meant, what that was meant to do was to provide the government with a list of young men that could be called upon if there was a crisis or you know major conflict. So it was probably perceived a bit like you know registering for the draft, like hey, we could get called up to fight in a war because now we're registered on this list with the Selective Service. That was sometime in 1980, so it was still President Carter at the time. Reagan had not been elected. And um, it seems like the lyrics of the song were kind of written in uh, response to that. Was that something you would agree with? Yes. You know, I, I did extensive research on this issue by turning to my husband last night and saying, hey, do you remember having to register? <laughs> because mm-hmm. uh, my husband was born the same month as Prince. So, um, you know, talk about real time. And he did remember that they had a mandatory registration. But here's the thing. Um, anyone Prince's age would have been too old. 
um, by two or three years when when this came up. So, you know, it it was probably not a um, not something Prince had to do um, in in a way. His age group was really fortunate. You know, they were yeah. um, too young for Vietnam and then uh, too old by the, you know, the draft, um, I believe, ended in 1973. So but, you know, by the time this sort of registration was mandatory again, they were they were a little bit too old for it. I guess they were 22 or 23. So um, so he's fortunate in that way. And, I, I, you know, I thought a little bit about that, especially in uh, The Rise of Prince when we were writing about um, Prince being on the Rick James tour because, um, and again, remember, this was directly feeding into the writing of Dirty Mind. Rick James was 10 years older than Prince. Yep. So by accident of birth, he was actually in a very unfortunate situation where he was just about the perfect age um, for the Vietnam draft. And in fact, Rick James was a draft dodger. Yeah. I read that. Um, I remember reading yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, he ran across the border from uh, his hometown of Buffalo and uh, into Toronto, where um, these are just incredible Rick James stories that are detailed in his autobiography, Glow, that, you know, three, three drunk white guys tried to beat him up for going AWOL. Um, and then he was helped by three other white guys who happened to be professional musicians. And, you know, and because of them, Rick James winds up meeting Joni Mitchell and Neil Young and you know, just wow. uh, and forming a, a band um, called the Mina Birds with Neil Young in it um, that gets signed to Motown. And just as they're ready to release their first single, the U.S. Armed Forces caught up with Rick James and threw him in the brig for going AWOL. Wow, what a story. But, right? you know, that's a kind <laughs> of like Prince had been around Rick James, you know, in 1980 more than would have been considered healthy for anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the stuff might have been fresh in his mind as he was, you know, thinking of lyrics for the song, probably hearing stories, you know, from Rick or from associates of Rick about his, you know, his history and his background. And, um, and then this comes across this, this registration law goes into effect and um, it's all like this perfect storm of, of occurrences that happen in Prince's life to be like, okay, well, this is a song I want to write. I want to write a political song because Dirty Mind, he wanted to say things that he hadn't said, said before anyway. The whole album was filled with songs that he was writing to make a point or take a stand or, you know, create some sort of buzz. And he had done the sex songs quite uh, frequently in, on that album, but this is like the first political song, I guess you could call it. And so it's notable for that in my mind for being that. And it's and even though Dirty Mind is thought of as a risque album with a lot of a lot of uh, explicit lyrics and, and 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 sexual songs, Party Up is not one of them. But it's still it's still uh, political and still takes makes a stand and and tries to um, say something important. I mean, this really is a significant song. I mean, it, it's a Prince classic because it is his first protest song. And yeah. um, I, I feel that Prince does not get the accolades he deserves for his body of work in that in that area. You know, he 
he was writing protest songs till the end. Um, I mean, in 2015, yes, he, was, yeah. he wrote Baltimore, right? And yeah. and in fact, it's somewhat evocative of Party Up in that there's a chant, you know. So whereas Party Up ends with a chant, uh, Baltimore has a chant of if there ain't no justice, then there ain't no peace. And it's it's very evocative. It's almost like bookends in a lot yeah, of right. ways. Yeah. yeah. Very good point. Very good point. And uh, the chant chanting obviously is a protest staple. Um, so it makes sense to in a protest songs to uh, create a, a memorable phrase that that one can chant over and over in order to reiterate a point and and party up. Obviously that, you know, they chant over and over party up, got to party up. But at the very end, he chants with the um, the live version it's the band but uh, obviously when he's recording it it's just prince uh you're gonna have to fight your own damn war because we don't want to fight no more you just chance that over and over and over until the end of the song just to kind of hammer home the point that him and, and his friends and his generation are not interested in another vietnam they're not interested in taking part in another vietnam where um young young men are being drafted into a war that they may or may not understand or believe in and they don't want to fight i mean this is 1980 the war had only officially been over uh less than a decade so it was obviously very fresh in everybody's mind and uh, you know i'm sure prince knew people that fought in the vietnam war that were drafted from his neighborhood and whatnot and uh, ended up fighting so you know he's not having it <laughs> no absolutely i mean and you know back in i think january of 1980 um you know there the soviet um afghan war was um going on and and the u.s was you know considering intervening so this was a real um you know this was very much a real issue and um you know it set off a wave of protests so uh, you know i think prince was very much in line with um you know what the young young people of the day were feeling and and it it is it has definitely a 60s feel to it a 60s you know it, it, prince was a child of the 60s mm-hmm. you know um and and he he very much had that sort of counter culture view of war and and this this sort of how, you know, how, how are you going to make me uh, kill somebody I don't even know, right? It's, it's this sort of innocent, youthful message, but it, it gets to the heart of it, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the heart of it. So, right. yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, what I love about Party Up is it also, you know, it also has this hedonistic aspect to it, which you see throughout, um the, the next couple albums, I mean, it, you know, Prince's response in 1999, you know, to, to nuclear holocaust is to party, you know, and <laughs> so yep. um, I, I think you see that here, right? This is sort of the genesis that that then leads to uh, 1999, uh, that, you know, the only reasonable response to, to war is, um, hey, let's party. We'll give a
Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the title, Party Up, you don't automatically think, oh, this is probably a protest song. <laughs> no. It, it, does, it doesn't really necessarily uh, make that very clear. You have to listen to the song, listen to the lyrics to even have a clue what you're getting at. Because if you just listen to the Party Up, Got to Party Up, you're not going to get anything from that. I mean, that's a fun chant, and it makes makes it a good song, but it's the verses and of course, at the very end, if you didn't catch it, like if you missed it somehow by listening to the, you know, the verses talking about, we don't give a damn, we just want to jam, party up. That army bag, such a double drag, party up. He talks about revolutionary rock and roll, going uptown, baby. And he also says in the verse, how are you going to make me kill somebody I don't even know? Yeah. Um, but because of the way, and I've mentioned this multiple times in previous podcasts, the way that Prince sings a lot of his earlier material it doesn't always uh, make it easy for the listener to exactly hear word by word what he's saying and so yeah. if you're just listening to it and you're not paying attention because of the way it's being sung some of these words can just go right over your head and you're really not catching the meaning behind the track and um and if all you hear is the the chorus you know party up got to party up you just think this is a party song <laughs> You know, and you're really not getting it. But one of my favorite, my favorite section, personal favorite section of the song is when they say, because of their half-baked mistakes, we get ice cream, no cake, all eyes, no truth. Is it fair to kill the youth? I love that because it's just so kind of, um, off the wall with the comparisons to half-baked mistakes and then they talk about ice cream no cake so it's like a half uh, half-baked mistakes and then moving on to like a dessert that you have to bake um, <laughs> yeah. and it's not it's not like it's a half-baked cake it's no cake you don't get any cake yeah, uh, there's no no substance, right? It's just yeah. just the thing on top. But yeah, it's you know notable for one of the rare Prince baking references in his lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, uh, ice cream maybe have come up uh, would have come up again, but uh, yeah, cake no. So you know, we we get pasta simmering on the stove in June, much later in his career. But yeah, this is a rare baking reference. And a protest song, yeah, <laughs> but it's got that Prince sort of whimsicality to it, oh, no, you sure. know, that kind of sly humor that is such a hallmark of Prince lyrics, you know, to throw in cake and ice cream. But yeah, it's um, it's you're right on the surface, it it sounds like a really cool sort of rock funk jam song, you know, but it it's actually much deeper when you when you delve in and if you really listen, I mean, it's, um, it's sort of, it, it sort of leads Prince into, you know, because it's the album closer as well, it, it very much leads right into uh, what we'll see him do in controversy, you mm -hmm. know, where, where he's starting to sort of fancy himself um, somewhat of a political uh, commentator, you know, I mean, maybe not to great effect, but um, it's interesting to see to see this development. And, you know, he he goes on throughout his career, I mean, to um, to do quite a quite a lot of protest songs. I mean, from, you know, Cinnamon Girl and Musicology um, to, you know, Act of God in 2010 and, and my favorite Colonized Mine 
mind, which is, you know, a, a bluesy track. So it's, um, so yeah, I mean, he, this sets him off on a trajectory and really all of Dirty Mind is, you know, this whole album is highly significant because it's really the, the first album in, you know, what, what Alex Hahn and I wrote about in the book is that it, it's probably the most um, significant uh, or, or greatest really run of creativity in pop history. And it starts here with Dirty Mind. Prince coming out of the gate now, you know, with a real viewpoint. Yeah, and saying something that people can relate to and get behind, you know, at least with the the the, the crowd and those individuals that he was speaking to, like the ones that were going to buy a Prince record, the ones that were going to listen to a Prince record. This is the kind of stuff that they were probably wanting to hear from uh, members of his generation and to kind of speak for them. So like the distrust of government, all lies, no truth, is it fair yep. to you? So that, you know, speaks to a little bit of distrust of, of the government of officials in charge. Um, and, you know, I, you got to put some uh, subversiveness in there you know, with lines like fighting war is such a fucking bore, party up. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like right. yeah, okay, you're right. Yeah, who wants to <laughs> fight war? I, I'd rather party. I'd rather, you know, have sex. I'd rather hang out uptown. And he mentions uptown again in the song. So he says, going uptown, baby. So once again, that kind of, to me, reiterates the point that uptown is more than just a Minneapolis neighborhood. It's it's also like a, a way of thinking. It's a, a place in your in your head and in your heart. And um, and I think that that is clear here in the song as well when he says it's all about what's in your mind going uptown, baby. I don't want to die. I just want to have a bloody good time. And uh, so for me, bringing up uptown again in the context of those those lines, what it's all about, what's in your mind tells me again that uptown is not just a place. Right. Uptown is a utopia. Yeah. You know, yep. it, it very much is a utopia in Prince's mind. And yeah, it's much, I mean, mu much as sort of Paisley Park became later, right? Yeah, um, you sure. know, which he sings in Around the World in a Day, Paisley Park becomes this sort of utopia as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, it's interesting how he references that now as a as a concept, you know, more more than just a physical location. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's also significant that... Um, Party Up was the song he performed on Saturday Night Live, um, his first performance on Saturday Night Live, which took place in February of 1981. And, you know, instead of choosing Dirty Mind, he, he I think, wisely chooses uh, Party Up. And, uh, you know, they it, it's got this sort of anarchic appeal to it right and mm -hmm. uh, punk, you know he was very much going for this sort of punk um, new wave uh, aesthetic and and sound at the time so uh, and you know it was very much helping him cross over to that audience and 
you know, being in New York, uh, Prince was hugely loved by the critics, right? Um, all the critics love you in New York, which we hear on 1999. He was, uh, he was receiving rave reviews for Dirty Mind. So he was uh, really finding a, a new audience there yeah. at the time. I love that Saturday Saturday Night Live performance. They just the band Prince and the band look like they're um, a cool gang, you know. Like yeah. <laughs> they're the cool kids. They're the cool yeah. kids. They're the cool punk kids. They're um, multiracial, multigender. They just look like they are the 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 group that is saying something important, but they're also like their own insular gang. And when they all just run off the stage. You know, at the end, Prince knocks down his microphone and runs off the stage and they all kind of follow suit. I don't I, they probably like, oh, wait, I guess we better follow him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but they'll run right. off like it's like the like stick and like a stick and move type of um, approach. Like we're going to sing this song. We're going to we're going to say something maybe a little controversial to people and hopefully people get it. And then we're going to get the hell out of here because we have to move on to the next we have to move on to the next thing. We got to go get out of here because we're dangerous and we don't want to get arrested, you know. So we're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They practically they just storm off stage. You know, yeah. they they really do. He knocks down that mic and and they're out of there. And uh, so yeah, Prince not only knew how to make an entrance, he knew how to make an exit too. So um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a great performance. And uh, you know, I was surprised actually to see. I, I looked in the history. He doesn't perform again on Saturday Night Live till maybe 89. So, uh, it, you know, this was, this was very memorable for, for quite some time, I think. And yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I, I think he made, he made an impression and really that was in the early days of SNL. I think it was its sixth season only. So um, it, and it, it, it was hosted by uh, Charlotte Tilden or Charlene Tilden, who was a yeah, star of Dallas. Dallas. Yes, Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, also provides an interesting contrast with the musical cast. <laughs> <laughs> Not much more mainstream than Dallas in 1980. That is, that's true. I think Prince, uh, Prince shook some people up, you know, with that, with that performance. But yeah, so um, it, it's, you know, it, as I, as I did a little more research on Party Up, I, I admittedly went down a few research rabbit holes and um, because one thing that occurred to me, I don't know if if this occurred to you as well about the term party up. I mean, back in the day, like the term was actually party down. Right. You know, it was like, hey, you want to party down or, you know, I, I think people would sometimes say it kind of jokingly. Um, but there was actually a song in 1974 called Party Down. It was sort of an R&B uh, hit. And uh, I saw a clip of it actually being played on Soul Train back then. So, um, so it's interesting, you know, that Prince plays with that idea of, you know, partying down versus party up. And, you know, it's, it's just princely. Right. Why well, do something that's already been done? Let's, yeah. let's create, let's, it's the same concept, but party down is boring. Let's uh, let's yeah. let's make a new phrase. Let's let's say something that nobody's heard before, and that was obviously something that he uh, relished in doing, and did very well. And here's yet another example, and an early example of just like because nobody it didn't catch on. I mean, nobody says party up no. um, these days, but it doesn't matter because it's it's documented now, and it's it's documented as a song that Prince created off of an album that really kind of was his like you said, the beginning of his uh, run of greatness in the 80s. And 
Party Up has always been one of my favorite songs off of the album because it is different. It sounds different. It has a different um, style to it. It seems frenetic, like the, like it just keeps propelling forward. And then, yes, to like rein it in a little bit with the choruses. But then the guitar line and just the way the whole song progresses forward, it ends too quickly for me. I, I could listen to a much longer version of this song and be perfectly happy. But its briefness also is effective in, in well as well, just like the entire album. Right. Well, when you need to storm off stage at the end, I guess you have to keep it somewhat brief. But yeah, yes. it's, I mean, I, I look to it, Prince's catalog, and, and I think the only other song with party in the, that uses party in the title is Party Man, which I, there was actually a mix of Party Man that sampled Party Up. Now, maybe you'll think of more that hmm. include Party, but, um, but Not yeah. Not top ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, I like how Prince plays with words and, and turns things on its head. I mean, it, it, party up is sort of, you know, uplifting as opposed to party down was kind of, you know, debauchery and women and drugs and drinking and, you know, um, that kind of thing. So yeah, he turns it on his head. It's, it's yeah. Prince. An it's uplifting gonna... party. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's right well speaking of storming off the stage and dropping your microphone laura i think i'll probably let you go at this time if you have any final words or anything else you wanted to say about party up you know what i just i just say people you know everyone should should grab a copy of dirty mind and uh it's it's really a seminal album in its history and you know the start of a great great creative run so uh excited to hear where you're going next jason can't wait for controversy all right (laughs) (laughs) controversy is a great album too i'm looking forward to it i I really enjoyed recording uh all these episodes for dirty mind because it is one of my favorite prince albums yeah all right well thanks thank you so much for having me yes you're welcome anytime you're always welcome You've been listening to the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. Once again, another thank you to Laura Tebert for joining me on this episode. A lot of great insight, as I would have expected from somebody who has researched Prince, especially in his early career, as much as she has for the creation of The Rise of Prince, 1958 to 1988, the book she co-authored with Alex Hahn. Please check that book out. It's, it's quite the read and uh, provides a lot of insight and um, I recommend it to just any, anybody who is a Prince fam, friend, or fan. So thanks, Laura, again, and until next time, goodbye.